and welcome to a brand new episode of Lowdown. Today I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Daniel Gee, partner at Sheridan's Law and author of Dundeal and his latest book, Build the Invisible. Daniel, a big warm welcome to the show. Thanks, Connor. Teamed only a couple of weeks ago. We were in, I like to say sunny Miami, but it wasn't sunny. It was um, absolutely torrential rain Miami, but I still had a good time. Yeah, and like to my own detriment, I'm going through podcast files there from a few weeks back, trying to edit out actually the hurricane in the background. That's a <laughs> review them. But I mean, that's actually a perfect place to begin. I mean, how in fact did you find your American trip? I believe you were in Miami, but you were also in New York. It was great. Um, I actually hadn't done um, a bit of a, a long haul trip for a while. In fact, probably pre-COVID in truth, just uh, for lots of different reasons. So it's great to get out there. I do, I do quite a lot of talking. Um, um, and lecturing work with um, Dr. Erkut Sogut, who is Meza Erzl's agent, who, who's a great guy, loves teaching as well and sharing knowledge. So we had a great week. We were in, into Miami on the Monday doing a, a day's business course, Soccer X speaking Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, I was speaking in Miami Uni during that time in New York University um, and then meeting some clients I hadn't seen for a while. So it, I tried to sort of get as much in as possible for the week. As it turns out, I forgot my uh, my laptop charger in Miami, so um had a, um, a panicked Thursday in New York trying to find the right charger and adapt. Anyway, the usual nonsense that happens only when you're traveling and then you actually need the laptop to do some work. But apart from that, it was, um yeah, it was really productive. Thanks. Tell me about it. I know all that hassle that goes into going between UK <laughs> and US charges, but um. In fact, I mean, Daniel, something you brought up there, Miami University, and you do an awful lot of student seminars indeed. That is how we first became acquainted years ago now, I believe at Birkbeck back in 2019. Um, it's the first time you've done such in the US, if I'm not mistaken. Would you find, were there massive similarities or striking differences in terms of the topic of discussion brought up by students in the US? Well, I, the, the thing is, actually, in, in more general terms, is um, with writing the, the second book, the idea actually was just to try and say a few other things rather than talk about football is, in truth, be slightly less of a one-trick pony. <laughs> um, and then the idea really was, to a degree, to talk about wider career stuff, self-development ideas, you know, and constantly trying to you know better yourself improve reflect on things that have gone well or otherwise um and the talk that i was trying to give along with erka in miami was actually around you know some of the core sports business areas mainly football is the truth because that's where a lot of my experience lies um, and then talk about some of my career journey and some it imparts a tiny bit of wisdom of things that i've learned over the years which then I think have quite universal appeal, regardless of, you know, if you're in the US or UK or South America or, you know, Australia, for example. I think there's lots of core um, areas because I think going back to, you know, first principles, when um, when I started writing the second career book, my idea actually was to try and write the book that I'd always given bad answers to for people beforehand, which is, you know, how do you become a football agent or how do you make it in the football business or do the thing that you want to do and instead of giving a paragraph answer I tried to write 15,000 words on it um, and that was the sort of birth of Build the Invisible the Truth. Yeah and I would say Build the Invisible is a tremendous second iteration and it builds nicely upon done deal but for those that aren't caught up with your journey today Daniel could you please take them through when you're speaking of how 
the generalist pathway, but could you please tell me through, take me through rather how a former aviation and care parts lawyer mm. ends up working in a beautiful game? Well, uh, yes, it's a great one. Um, the, I think the short answer is that, I, you know, I grew up um, in Liverpool as a big Liverpool fan. Um, I was just completely addicted to football news, watching everything, reading everything I could. But this is when football news was in short supply, in truth. You know, it was literally papers, magazines, newspapers, radio, and the odd live game on television back in the light, late 1980s. Um, fast forward a number of years, um, I did uh, my law dissertation on the Bosman ruling. Um, I did a master's degree in sports and football broadcasting rights, uh, which is effectively, you know, where the money comes from in sports on the whole. And um, for a while, was working across lots of different uh, sectors, as you said, aviation, agriculture, car parks, financial services. Um, but I was having to become a very good um, regulations lawyer because a lot of those regulations are governed by EU directives, UK legislation, and uh, laws and regulations across the, the globe, in truth. And I sort of came to the realisation that if I can read 300 pages of agriculture regulations, I can read 500 pages about the FIFA regulations or, you know, in fact, the financial fair play rules or the third party ownership regulations or all of these cases that were springing up in the early to mid 2000s. Um, and that was where I sort of started blogging and had this sort of side hustle where my day job was not that much sport, but my side hustle was completely talking about all of the contemporary issues that were impacting on the football industry. And a lot of those were Carlos Tevez, Mascherano, John Terry, uh, Luis Suarez, um, Anton Ferdinand matters, um, FFP, third party ownership, um, and everything that sort of sprang from there on the regulatory side. Yeah, to be more accurate, it was a side hustle that lasted 12 to 14 years. And indeed, like it was an awful lot of inspiration and perspiration, it seemed to be you know, to try to get into the industry because for me, 12 to 14 years to be writing that blog, although a passion and a side hustle of yours, it's an unreasonable amount of time to be working at something without expecting anything back in return. Well, that's, I think, part of the thing. I think um, I'm, I, I'm not sure whether it's dispiriting or very empowering the message, probably a little bit of both at exactly the same time, which is I think if you want to do something, you've probably got to give it about a decade. Um, and that doesn't mean you can't be doing other things at the same time. In fact, a lot of the book is actually to do with de-risking yourself, which is don't put all your eggs in one basket and don't put too much pressure on yourself. You can do lots of things at the same time, um, uh, which enable you to, um, you know, take the pressure off in truth. And that's what I think I did to an extent, which was I had my legal skills and competency mixed with my sector skill of football and sport, which at the right time came together but it was to say it was an incremental process, exactly as you said, would probably be the biggest understatement of all time, in truth. <laughs> I suppose, I mean, it did lay the foundation, in fact, not only for Dundee, but obviously Build the Invisible, which is why we're here today. And, you know, Build the Invisible very much is, it's a book, which is an anecdote to your career in the game. Um, I mean, one of the titles is Put Yourself on the Path to the Career You've Always Wanted. What would you say, Daniel, are some of the principles that you've utilised that are key for a sustained career in the sport? Well, I always think there's a sort of cascading effect um, and, and that is a real hopefully positive element, which is I think 
I think you've got to start off um, dedicating a decent amount of time to something. And it might well be that you don't know exactly what you want to do, which is absolutely fine in life. But, you know, I was quite lucky that, um, you know, I knew football was going to be for me. Um, it just wasn't sure whether it was going to be the thing that I would do for a job or whether it would be to a hobby or whether it would be a side hustle or whether it would just be, you know, something anecdotal rather than be quite central to my career now in truth. Um, but the way I compartmentalized it was I was enjoying reading and consuming all of this content from the areas of law that I was trying to get into. So the first thing was how do you build a knowledge side hustle and how do you consistently and pretty constantly um, compound day after day all of this knowledge acquisition um, so that in time and again it's not a short-term thing you've got enough interesting in-depth things insights to be able to give either in conversation or in print or typing or speaking or wherever you are that you're effectively communicating and this is what i try and say to a lot of different you know people that you know i try and offer a little bit of advice to at different times is at some point um you've got to be able to convert the internal to the external which is um you know you think you know enough about a particular topic or you might not think you know enough about a particular topic but you've got to test it you've got to test the theory you've got to test how articulate you can be about stuff and the way you do that is either using your mouth or using your fingers, really, in typing um, or speaking. And that sort of leads to the next bit, which is, you know, probably I would say you need the best part, I think, of about a year, a year to really get up to speed about a particular silo topic. And I'm talking not necessarily just the football business. I'm talking about a specific area of the football business, potentially, in truth. Um, I think then you can start doing a few things, ultimately, the next step is as important, if not otherwise, which is you don't necessarily need to be the sector expert. You don't even need to be the siloed sector expert on a particular topic. You just need to be able to offer interesting enough insights that people know that you have invested a decent amount of time in thinking about the topic. And once you do that, it's easier to then start building relationships with people inside and outside of your chosen expertise and I think what then happens as I can talk about in more detail is then how you start to think about interacting with people based on your growing knowledge base based on actually listening well to their opinions and using their opinions as really good cornerstones of your knowledge and building different layers of that knowledge um, upon foundation and foundation and joining those dots so that in a particular period of time, and all of this, again, is a sort of multilateral thing that will all be done in parallel, that you're learning, you're listening, you're reading, you're communicating, and then you do it all in repeat in lots of different ways and lots of different orders with lots of different people. So um, you, you you build your knowledge um, foundations and you build your relationship foundations, and each of them nourishes each other quite well. It seems to me... The book that you've put into place here is something that you wish you would have came across 10 to 15 years ago in mm -hmm. the industry, because it's very reminiscent of the economies and opportunities of scale, which you've been afforded to. And for me, I think this one in particular, more so than Dundee, is going to be a timeless piece of literature in the football industry going forward. Why? Because traditionally, the industry that we would have went into, there would have been a limited amount of opportunities at the helm. 
where is this due to the cascading effect and the economies of scale and how network of opportunities work as detailed in the book seems to me it'd be a case of take that greatest vision work towards it and even better things will occur as a result yeah i think there's this whole thing around um uh not being able to see past the opportunity that hasn't happened yet and almost creating all of these load loads of opportunity uh time opportunity opportunities if that's the right way putting it without trying to confuse anybody and um I, I think a lot of the time it's to do with um thinking about the outcome sometimes which is you only need one opportunity to occur for a good thing to happen but you can't just put all your eggs in one basket and hope that all you need is one opportunity you've got to create all these multi multiple opportunity frameworks and if you're able to do that and um then um hone all of those skills learned things listened to um i also think a massive thing thinking just very briefly now about um when i was just starting out in the legal profession is that i thought i would be really good at interviews but i'd never done an interview before in truth going into all my legal interviews and i was terrible terrible <laughs> um you know you think you can provide an um, authentic voice articulate things that's sometimes complicated not get yourself into a muddle not mumble not speak too fast speak with enthusiasm all all of the things that you see people do very well on the tv um or in life um or on youtube that you think would just easily come naturally but it's the exact opposite of that it's that practice element and practicing all of those skills constantly really really works in truth as well and that's the really interesting element to it all is i think one of the key facets is this um well the book is all about building the invisible it's almost doing the thing that nobody else can see um and one of those bits is um sort of iceberg effects that lots of people have talked about over the years but i think is really apt and it's just all to do with all the positive and negatives that go underneath the surface um, that nobody else sees. And it's only when usually there are success indicators, something good has happened. So I've done a high profile deal or somebody says something nice about me or otherwise. And then suddenly you attain a level of status because of the thing that nobody else has seen. And then everybody comes to you and says, well, what's the secret? Because I see now you are successful. And I want to replicate, effectively, I want to replicate that success. So tell me the shortcut that I need to do in order to get there. And um, the disappointing and exhilarating answer, I think, um, is do it for a decade and see what happens. Um, and obviously, there's a lot more detail to that. And that's why I sort of try and put it out to the board. But um, the, uh, the barrier to entry for most people is the effort that most won't undertake is the truth that short and um, that sort of long-term consistency which um doesn't yield any results for an awful lot of time as you said at the beginning Connor, is exactly the foundations um that have held me in really good stead and yes that's not to say that i haven't had a million of one setbacks and things have gone really smooth and all the rest of it but um in my experience of speaking with a lot of other people in the book, uh, in truth, it's a lot of it is just down to sheer bloody minded. Um, uh, it's not really pers persistence or resilience. It's actually stubbornness. It's the truth. Stubbornness and, and a little bit obsessive, obsessiveness. Um, 
uh, which um, sometimes aren't necessarily seen as positive traits, but um, sometimes they are because they sometimes defy logic or reason is that you still keep going regardless of the setback. And even if it's big, small or otherwise, that you're just going to keep going regardless of um, whatever's potentially happened. Yeah, it's an interesting one. There's an awful lot of touch points there. And think one of the key ones being, I mean, you have to use whatever emotion is driving you at the start too, right? I mean, you can't just choose not to play the game because you have a certain amount of players at the field. That being one thing. Another thing being able to delay gratification out towards medium to long scale time horizons. But a big part of it for me too, Daniel, is in terms of what outcome you're optimizing for. And that's something which you're pretty big on, these identity-based outcomes, of which I'm delighted mm. a little bit more on. Well, see, the, the more I think about this and more I speak about sort of identity stuff, um, I think um there's always a question um which is at what cost? Um identity building my identity around the thing that i do for my job some people might be seen as the worst possible thing that they could do because they are validated by the thing that happens inside of this thing that they do for the longest amount of time each day in truth but i think you know to 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 do well and however you measure success and there's lots of different ways to measure that um one of the key elements i think is you you got to build around the thing that you want to do you're more likely to do the thing you're going to do if you're you know um fully immersed into the thing um and i think you do need that little bit of obsessive compulsive thing in truth i think it's easy for everyone to say well i just worked hard and it came around and you know you did it but i think if you see i'm not comparing myself to any professional footballers and far from it but you know to reach the top you've got to be sometimes um uh working out what the actual cost of um not doing that and doing something else actually is in practice which is then a little bit tricky so um the identity stuff is uh i think is is a difficult one sometimes to be able to entirely um articulate because actually there is a there is a downside to it the, the more my identity is linked to what i want to do as a person and how it goes into my leisure time and how it goes into my work time and how it just encompasses everything um i don't necessarily see that as a um, uh, as too much downside although i note that has been downside in my life for it and um, for others that actually might not might be too much and actually some people apply to buy a job and then do the thing that they like doing outside of that but to be able to accomplish the thing but for me um being the reader being the stubborn one being the obsessive one being the needing to understand how this works what me be the things that i'm now able to do um you know every day pretty interesting one too isn't it in terms of what type of character are you optimizing for and obviously a huge part of that daniel is who you surround yourself with but as as discussed off camera i mean it's a crazy one to bring up but i'm delighted to hear you're also a big fan of naval ravikant whose book is equally fascinating and one concept he speaks of inside the book which will be news to an awful lot of people's ears in the football industry he speaks of playing long-term games with long-term people well, for me, Daniel, in terms of your own practice in life, how do you identify 
what projects to work on and whom to work with? I don't think there's an easy answer in truth. I think um, you've got to have long-term ideas and goals and objectives on stuff. You've got to be flexible in the shorter term to change and be adaptable and pragmatic and um, open enough to see if things are working or not working. And all I can say is in terms of, well, I, I sort of split it up into two ways. The first probably is family stuff and my wife specifically, Holly. She's, she's we, we, we talk a lot and we walk a lot basically. So we walk a coffee and chat when the kids are at Sunday school or doing their thing and have date nights or whatever. And she is good enough to put up with all of my you know, stuff. Um, and we talk and brainstorm a lot of things. And she's a brilliant ideas person. And I know that I'm quite a good implementation of the ideas um, themselves. So to give you a brief story, when we were dating, I was sort of humble bragging that I'd got these articles published in a law journal, uh, which I loved because there was obviously quite a big status attached to being in a law journal. Problem is probably only about 10 people read it um, because it was behind a paywall and it was a detailed 8,000 word piece. And who, who would read a detailed 8,000 word piece on the football industry, even if it was behind the paywall, which was more or less her message to me. Uh, and that converted into, well, why don't you write a blog, making it more accessible for people to understand how the football industry works? A very sensible suggestion. And, and those types of suggestions have kept coming um, over the years in truth. Because um, sometimes I can't see the wood for the trees, literally, where you're so immersed in the stuff, you need somebody to jolt you out of um, uh, what's right in front of you and think a little bit more strategically about stuff. In the same way that I've been, this, this is the luck part, in truth, I have been somewhat lucky to have some very good mentors, little mentors around me from my time at my first American law firm Jones Day to my law firm has that for almost nine years field Fisher to where I've now been at, at Sheridan's for the last over eight years as well and surrounding myself with people that I'm really fortunate to be around every day now that takes a lot of work is the truth as well it doesn't come easy and it's not something that just happens it takes a huge amount of um work of iterating of communicating with everyone to say this is how things need to be done. These are the behaviors we want. This is the culture we want to set. These are the actions that we do every day to underline all of that. And one of my colleagues who sits next to me um, is brilliant on being able to um, action to behavior, to culture, to the, all of that together. And that together is what um, holds a lot of things for me at Sheridan's and the work that I do because I like coming in every day. I like speaking to everybody. I, I, I like that ingrained and projects with long-term people. Um, I think it's vital. And also the other bit is, is that when things sometimes don't go to plan or you're feeling a bit negative because we're all human and we go through those periods, you need people alongside you to energize you as well, which is massively important. Urquhart, for example, um, has been brilliant at that with me on a number of occasions. Whenever I spent time with him, which I did a few weeks ago, I did in Mumbai a while back, 
um, where I have been in London uh, and, and on other trips around the world, it's um, I'm always very positively energized by his being in truth. He's always got loads of ideas, but the difference is, which is something I know Naval talks about a lot as well, is you've got to action those ideas. Otherwise, it actually becomes a very depressing mindset where you have all of these things, but then nothing happens and nothing works because you can't follow through. And my and my element throughout all of this, which leads into the bigger piece, which is, you know, I don't want to just be a lawyer. I I understand lawyer law and being a lawyer is right at the heart of a lot of the things that I do. But I want to be able to do a podcast like we're doing now with you. I want to be able to write a book. I want to be able to do a fashion brand. I want to go and explore things that um are that that I'm curious about. But in the end, I know that come back to the same bit, which is how to, to drive business to me being a lawyer and how do I create new possibilities to make new networks, build relationships with people that otherwise wouldn't be able to do and um, and be curious to the things that they are doing because it could well be fascinating. It's very, very interesting there, the way you describe your own wife and Urquhart in uh, utilising different examples, of course, but uh, in the same breath being used as scaffolds in terms of Adam Grant's new book. I don't know if you've read it yet, Hidden Potential, absolutely fascinating. Daniel, and I certainly put everyone listening to this podcast on to it too. He speaks about having different people in your network, from a wife, from an Erica, from other mentors, to act as these scaffolds that can kind of enhance your motivational network and climate, whilst also being able to provide different opportunity frameworks, which I think is so equally indeed i've heard you speak in other podcasts before of how in fact your wife has played a prominent role in this book too in a different way because could you please take us through the cover of the book daniel it involves some weirdly colored loops and you do compare it to an ice rink you once attended with your wife and daughters yeah 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 so um well um it happened in reverse actually so um the front cover of the book is more or less um crayon drawing that we've um that we sort of upgraded a bit and that my eldest daughter Izzy did in her year 3 art class um and she brought it home and i just saw all of these different rainbow colored loops and i just found it really uh interesting in truth um and uh, I thought about whether that could be the cover of the book in, in reality. And then it would obviously be a nice story. My daughter was the, the designer of the book. Um, the other bit, I would also say that then um, that sort of joins the dots of the of the cover design was, I'm a terrible ice skater and uh, I, to, to ice skate, it just ends terribly for me. Um, my, my two daughters and my wife wanted to go for a school um, day outing. So I stayed around the side and just was on my phone a little bit. And then as I, thank goodness, started looking off my phone and just started watching everybody, um, there were all of these things going on on the ice rink, which was just totally fascinating. And just something clicked in my brain just to be like, what what's, what's actually happening here? And I, I sort of thought that, which is basically the introduction to the book, which was um, all of these covered circles and loops are effectively all of our sort of unconscious and unconscious routines every day, all of the positive and negative and somewhat indifferent things that we do, which are productive, unproductive, uh, useful or not. And the ice rink almost became the microcosm for that. 
um, which was everybody going around in these circles. Um, and there were outliers. There was a very good person, uh, obviously been a figure skater in her youth that was just incredible and sort of mesmerizing. Uh, there was another guy who was, that was learning and was starting to be very good, but just kept on falling over and hurting himself, but just keeping on getting up, persevering and having that resilience because he was in that is and about using those two examples as you know both of both of them externally show different things which is person of further along on that exceptional expertise process but whilst you are learning and developing it's never going to go to plan at all there's always going to be a, and everybody thinks that this um, effective ex-figure skater was going around endlessly, um, almost, you know, serenely. No one will have seen probably the thousands of hours that she would have in her skill for so many hours and so many days and so many years. Um, and it's that effortless, effortless, effortlessness that then becomes actually very interesting for people as to how people get to that level of is an expression because there's no so the end of the introduction was almost to under these loops um you see sometimes people come along that look exceptional um and we laud them without knowing what's probably the hours that it's taken and we sometimes laugh and um don't necessarily pay as much attention to the people that are in that um learning phase because um they're not that exceptional just yet but they are building that invisible expertise and i love i i ended up just really liking that um ice rink approach as a sort of metaphor for business and life and a bit of philosophy and how the book would actually work in practice absolutely fantastic and i love the fact that you were share that on the show um you've mentioned as well dan i mean Previously, all of your books are lagging indicators and culmination of years at work of building the invisible. And with creativity being a function of the previous work you put in, I mean, with all of that being said, what is next for you? Oh, great question. Um, a few things in truth. I'm not sure I've said this in public, so I'm not sure if this is probably an exclusive, but it is out there actually um, on Amazon. So um, maybe I shouldn't say at the moment, just in case. I can tell you, but maybe if we just hold off. I've got I've got another book coming out. Um, I've got another book coming out, um, which is more of a um, a kid's career focused book. Um, with one of my friends um, writing it, who's a much better author and much more acclaimed author than I am in truth. Um, so I'm not sure it's official just yet that we've known to know to put out there, but the next bit is um, hopefully uh, in time for the summertime next year, we've got, um, we're collaborating on a, a book for kids to help them think about how to choose the job in the football industry that they'd like to do. So um, we're in the process of doing that right now, trying to get all the manuscripts together, uh, the interviews that we're doing for it, which is really exciting. So that's that's got me really um, enthralled, actually, and a little bit nervous because it's a whole new, different, you know, uh, ball game again in terms of what I've written before. But um, excited nonetheless because, you know, in truth, it was hard enough to get one book deal in truth rather than. 
a few um and uh and like anything you know um there's this whole thing about putting yourself out there in truth and uh i don't find it very comfortable sometimes but you but what are you going to do? What's the what's the opposite of, of not putting yourself out there? It's um never doing anything really, and uh, at some point you've got to be the the man in the room, um, and you've got to be the, the person that hopefully says something. Or my my test actually, when anyone asks about building visible or done deal, is actually quite straightforward, which is has it helped one person to do one thing better? And um, I know pretty much already that the answer to both is yes, because some people come back to me and said, thanks for this, or this idea was really interesting, or thanks for that story, and that's helped me develop this, or it's inspired me to do that. So um, the great thing is, is that um, putting yourself out there, even though it can be pretty uncomfortable, um, can be of benefit to others, and that sort of knowledge sharing or a little bit of wisdom sharing um, has been great because... I've managed to get that feedback from people who have been kind enough to say positive things about it. Absolutely fantastic. And it's, you know, I'm excited to see what's next for you, Dan, because these things at the time, of course, they look like risk at the present moment, but in hindsight, of course, they're all opportunities. And I do, I do think that you will be able to execute upon those and achieve every bit of success as you have, as what's gone before. But as we wrap up the show, as this closing tradition on the podcast, Dan, um, I'll ask you for your one bit of key advice for anyone who's that slightly bit inspired by listening to you today. Um, I would just say one thing, um, and it's um, there's a there's a, a TED talk by um, uh, I think it's a Harvard professor called B.J. Fogg, and um, it's all to do with the power of habit. Um, so he wanted to, um, put on some muscle mass, but couldn't get to the gym every day. Um, it just couldn't get into that routine of doing it. So what he decided to do was hook on, um, a new behavior to an existing habit. And it sounds a bit odd, but what he did was every time he went to the toilet, he did two push-ups. Now, depending on how strong your bladder is, that could be quite a few or, um, not too many. Um, but he literally did that um, every day for six months. Um, and you can imagine you're probably doing 10, 20 push-ups a day, depending on how you do. Um, so the 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 if you remember nothing about this um, conversation that we're having, the, the interesting element of it, I think, is um, the small compounding effects over doing something over five minutes a day but doing it every day for a week, a month, a year, as whatever else it might be, um, is massively, massively undervalued, hugely undervalued. Um, and having that consistency of approach and it compounding uh, means it does special things over a long time. The issue is, is that you can't see it now before you start. And it usually takes about 20, 23 to 25 days to have a habit sort of really impress upon and become that sort of habit conscious thing. Um, it's just keeping that benchmark of consistency over a longer term that will be of massive value. And then it's just doing that thing that you enjoy that's going to benefit you, whatever else it might be, reading, writing, listening for that five or 10 minutes a day, probably keeping a track of it in terms of the journal. Um, so my advice would be just to do the thing you want to do for five minutes a day and uh, and see what happens. 
Build the Invisible. Daniel Gee, it was my pleasure hosting you today on The Lowdown. Pleasure. Thanks for having me.